everybody, and welcome to another episode of Compliant with Alliant, COVID with Alliant. This is Christine Blanco, Director of Employee Benefits Compliance here at Alliant, and with me is Diana. Hi, everyone. And we are here to talk again about some important COVID-related provisions of both the Families First Coronavirus Act and the CARES Act, specifically related to tax credits today. I'm going to um, share a secret, and we also um, have a webinar coming up on this topic where we're going to sound much more formal, so we're going to take it a little bit informally here today. So before we get there, um, let me let me set the, the stage on the paid family leave provisions in the Families First Coronavirus Act, and we've had a number of podcasts about that, and again, a webinar about it as well. And essentially, for um, employers under 500, there are two separate mandates to provide paid leave for a certain period of time. They're the EPSL and the EFEMLA is how we talk about those. Um, the sick leave is for um, six specific COVID-related reasons. The extended FEMLA is to care for a child whose school or daycare facility or child care provider is unavailable due to COVID. And so these are new mandates, and the law has provided that there is a fully refundable tax credit available for employers who are subject to those and are paying those paid leave wages. And then there's also another component under the CARES Act, which is called the Employer Retention Tax Credit. So for employers under certain circumstances, experiencing slowdowns or closures related to COVID and who have kept their employees on payroll can also receive a tax credit. The mechanics of that are almost identical to the FFCRA tax credits, and so we want to run through those as well. That's sort of a level set. We'll talk about that. With that, Diana, where do we go from here? Are you sure you don't want to ask me any Uh, weird questions about what I've been doing during quarantine? My gosh, I feel like the humor. I'm done with the humor. (laughs) I did see something about people who are quarantining in jeans, what do they have to prove? And I have to say, I am there for that. There have been no jeans happening recently. Um, Anyway, so no, I'm not going to. (laughs) Uh, No weird discussion of pets we maybe recently adopted. Well, okay, yes. Yes, well, you know my dog, Mocha Joe. (laughs) Apparently he has allergies. He's a high-maintenance dog. I forgive him for that. But he had an emergency pet visit and came home with no fewer than three or four medications that need administering on a daily basis. We love him anyway. So, Is this when we plug pet insurance? I'm actually not sure anymore. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and there's also some scary notice requirements around pet insurance <laughs> right now and grace periods, and I don't even want to go there. So, yes, let's move on to the tax credit. Well, and you know I love talking about tax credits, so I, I'm really excited to, to sort of kick those off. But I think, you. do you want to talk just a little bit about, we have quali- something called qualified leave wages under both EPSL and EFMLA, and those qualified leave wages have caps that I think we want to oh, just yeah. hit. Thank Out of you. the gate. Yeah. Okay. So under emergency paid sick leave, there are those six reasons you can take them, three of which you will be paying your employees at two-thirds of their regular rate of pay and three reasons, 100 The caps there are $200 per day for a, a total of $2,000 for those two weeks of paid sick leave or 80 hours. And then um, if for the 100% reasons. So those reasons you'll be paying your employees 100%. The cap is $511 per day, $5,110 total. Again, those are the totals under EPSL. Under EFEMLA, the total is, because again, you're paid at two-thirds wages under the EFEMLA. Um, you're looking at $200 per day cap 
or $10,000 total. Note two as a level set, your particular credit is really gonna be determined on an employee by employee basis, right? And what you pay them, and that's gonna depend on a host of factors, how long they're taking leave, what their rate of pay is, all those things. And so, we, you know, we can't really give you a flat dollar, but we can give you those caps. Yeah, and so I think those caps are really, really important because there's been some confusion about um, what what you get back in terms of that tax that's credit. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just make sure everyone understood, we start we start with those qualified leave wages up to those caps, but then we get to add two more things. And the things that we're adding are the amount of qualified health plan expenses, and that's gonna include both the employer and employee uh, cost of that coverage. Um, And we also get to add the employer's share of the Medicare tax imposed on qualified leave wages, which is generally 1.45% of wages. And so just to, again, clarify, say it a different way, those caps, you plop on top of that, your qualified health plan expenses. And so that's important that depending on your set of circumstances could get you, put you a little bit over and potentially a refund. Again, it all just depends. Do you yeah. want to talk about fully refundable? Or? Well, I think, I mean, I think to me that the biggest thing employers were missing was that, again, that the, the, the qualified leave wages are the base, and we add to mm-hmm. that. That's but right. I've gotten about a dozen questions about how do you calculate qualified health plan expenses. Okay. And, you know, you said this really early on, and I, I kind of paused at it. You're like, well, I'm sure it's going to be the COBRA rate. <laughs> and I was like, well, we don't necessarily know that. And then there we go. It's, of course, the, the COBRA rate. It's just, yeah, it's just <laughs> Yes. But so what they actually came out and told us is you can use any reasonable actuarial method to determine uh, the estimated amount of your qualified health plan expenses. But I'm going to just kind of echo what Chris said way back when. Was that a year and a half ago when yes, we started yes, this? Yes, in COVID years. Yes. Yeah, it was, it's going to be your COBRA rate. And so that's you know your carrier, the, the full freight cost, and our self-funded plans. You guys have, uh, have that rate yeah. developed also. So again, you're getting credit not only for what you're paying, but from what your employees are going to pay pre-tax and a note on that. Most of your folks are paying for these group health plan expenses pre-tax. In the event that they're not, for whatever reason, that's excluded from the, from the cost. Yeah. yeah, and do you want to hit a little bit about um, what, what it means to actually allocate this on a pro-rata basis? Yeah, and so that's the rule. Um, health, plans, health plan expenses are allocated on a, quote, pro-rata basis basis, which means um, you have to identify each employee taking paid leave and the duration of that leave. And then for each employee and each period of time, you calculate the cost of maintaining their group health plan coverage. So what, you know, if it's four months or three months or what a 90 days, whatever the case may be, right? What's the COBRA rate for that period of time for all the plans in which they present participate that are group health plans, so your medical and your health FSA. Yeah, I mean, like, I got that question, um, gosh, was it just earlier this week? Anyway, just about what can you throw in that bucket of qualified health plan expenses, Mm -hmm. and I always come back to it's your your group Group health plan expenses, but it's going to be your COBRAble benefits. So sometimes that includes things we maybe aren't thinking of. I know EAPs are not, you know exorbitantly expensive to maintain, but that goes in that bucket too. It does. Dental and vision, 
right? Of course. Um, HRA, Health FSA, does not include your health, your your HSA expenditures or contributions. That is not a part of your group health plan. Yes, and IRS was very kind to clarify that it also does not cover your Archer MSA. Oh yeah, because so many so, so many of us have those still. <laughs> right. Again, there's your group health plan attorney nerdy joke of the day. Um, Okay, so we've hit that what it includes. Again, it's employer and employee contribution. Um, do we want to talk about where are we now? Oh, you need yeah. to talk about the, the process. process. Okay, yeah. Because I don't want to talk about okay, it. Okay, yeah. And oh, you know what I also want to talk about? I talked about paid leave, and I also want to, you know, I'm going to talk about the process first, and then I'm going to talk about the employer retention tax credit. There's so, so much to talk about. I know, it's so exciting. So the process for claiming these tax credits is built into a process that exists already. The fully refundable tax credits claimed on your quarterly tax return form 941. So again, the process is you are required to make deposits on those federal uh, employment taxes that you owe as you pay your employees. So you have, you know, this money in a bucket in under normal circumstances. Now, what they tell you is you no longer have to deposit that money into the bucket, and you use that money to go ahead and pay these qualified leave wages. In the event the leave wages you need to pay out are more than the money that you have in that bucket you get to keep now, you can apply for an advance, um, and it's you know looks a lot, it's advanced tax credit on Form 70. 200. That's a new form. You can start submitting that as of April 1. And they have the IRS essentially wants to make sure that, you know, employers aren't disadvantaged here. They have committed to processing those within two weeks so that if you need that money to, you know, to pay, it comes back quickly. And so it is built into this process already. If you're unfamiliar with that, I imagine your, your payroll provider and your tax advisors together can help you you know, understand this process a little bit better, um, but know that you have this bucket of money from which you can draw, and if it, you know, it's not enough, you can ask the IRS to front that money for you or to get that money back to you very quickly. Um, another another um, key provision to note is it's, they're called fully refundable because in the event that you owe, you um, are going to pay out more in qualified leave wages than you would owe in federal employment taxes, which may be the case when you factor in health plan expenses and the Medicare issue, um, you get a refund back. So, um, and again, there's a million different scenarios here based on your employee population, but um, it's important to understand those mechanics. So that, um, those, that's the tax credit process. Did I miss anything there? Uh, well, I think it's just worth uh, reminding everybody that when we look at this tax credit, we pull back on who's the covered employer under the FFCRA. So it's private employers with fewer than 500. Mm -hmm. It's most governmental employers with one or more. Mm -hmm. But those governmental employers cannot get the tax credit, but our tax-exempt organizations can. Yeah, which is which was an interesting provision in the regulations. And so I want to talk a little bit more. So those um, that's the FFCRA tax credit. And I want to talk about the employer retention tax credit. That's not necessarily related to any leave. It's not related to any leave mandate at all. You can get both the employer retention tax credit and the FFCRA tax credits. Um, but the employer retention tax credit is not limited by size. Okay, In order to be an eligible employer, 
you simply have to have fully or partially suspended operation during any calendar quarter in 2020 due to orders from a governmental authority limiting commerce travel or group meetings all related to COVID, or you experience a significant decline in gross receipts during that calendar quarter, and then you maintain individuals on your payroll, you can get a tax credit. It caps really at $10,000 of wages. So, and it's 50% of that. So really it's basically 5,000 cap, um, plus healthcare expenses. Again, that goes on top of that cap. There's a lot of nuance in terms of decline in gross receipt. I imagine a number of employers who are actually doing this would easily fall into the category of eligible employer based on what's happening in the market right now. But again, it's 50% of the qualified wages paid in a calendar quarter. And then you can add healthcare expenditures as well. Um, you, there won't be situations, obviously, where you are, you can, you can, again, get both of these tax credits where they're both applicable. One doesn't exclude you from the other. Um, but yeah, so there will be some overlay. It's kind of like a Venn diagram. Oh, can I just circle back on some of those FFCRA leaves real quick? Sure. If you want that tax credit, and we all know that everyone not only wants but needs that tax credit, you need to be um, documenting yeah. all of those FFCRA uh, leave requests. Yep. And uh, we actually have built an Alliant FFCRA leave request form. Mm -hmm. uh, and the DOL has actually been um, in their FAQs pretty responsive about sort of what they want you to ask for, but not to go too much further over that line. So they want an employee attestation. You're certifying very specific things in that attestation, but they don't want you pushing people to get, you know, doctor's notes and additional right, documentation right. on top don't make of it that. Hard. Yeah, please don't make it hard. But you do have to cross those T's and dot those I's. And you have to keep that then for for tax purposes. Again, don't send it to the IRS, but have it maintained there and at the ready um, when you're if you're applying for that tax credit. For how many years, Christine? Four years. If there is a four year record That's retention. Right. And so again, these are tax credits available to employers in certain circumstances. We understand that I'm, I kind of um, flippantly refer to these as sort of a high class problem tax credit because if you're able to stay open, you're able to maintain operations, you're able to provide paid sick leave, right? Those are really um, advantageous situations right now. And so if you're in that situation, you can avail yourself of these tax credits both the paid leave provisions and the you've kept employers on your payroll. Now, there's also um, there's a cut there on the employer retention tax credit on over and under a hundred. Um, I should probably talk through that. Okay, sorry. Real quickly, um, if you are over one hundred, um, you can get the tax credit for anyone that you are paying who is not working for you. So they're not actually doing any work, but you've kept them on, right? And we, we understand that's probably a limited subset of folks. And so if you're larger, you're, you're available, the tax credit is a little bit less available likely to you, um, but it is there. Uh, for under 100, employers under 100, you can get the tax credit to anyone you're paying for any reason, whether they're actually working or not. So there is some eligibility nuance there, even though there's not the over under 500. Um, I hope I have not created more confusion rather than clarity, but you know, you can always follow up and ask us questions. 
Um, do we have anything else? No, I mean, I think that's it. But I would also just tell people, again, we've got that really comprehensive uh, COVID guide where we are building on that. We're adding to that. And we've added in tax credit questions. Mm-hmm. So use that as your reference point. That and we also have a chart on just sort of the various financial provisions in the CARES Act that employers can access. So um, that's included in there. Take a look there. Um, and we imagine there'll be additional stimulus legislation maybe at some point. Um, how qualified a, a statement is that? Um, so stay well, stay healthy. Thanks for joining us.